Hello and welcome to Amplify, supporting young amputees, the Limbless Association podcast that answers all your questions about life as an amputee. The Limbless Association is a long-standing, user-led national charity that's been supporting lives beyond limb loss for over 38 years. We're here for amputees, their friends and family, clinicians, and anyone who is interested in what it's really like to be an amputee. Our activities are based on the fundamental principle that no amputee need cope alone, and we provide support to amputees and their families pre- and post-amputation. Our services include our helpline, volunteer visitor peer support, support and connect hubs, virtual events, our young ambassador programme, quarterly Step Forward magazine, and so much more. I'm your host, Ella Dove. I'm an author, journalist, and Limbless Association trustee and young ambassador lead. In 2016, I lost my right leg below the knee following a freak accident tripping over while out running. It's been a long journey to rebuild, both physically and mentally, but the Limbless Association was there for me throughout, helping me to feel supported, encouraged and empowered. To join the Limbless Association's community, connect with us on social media or visit our website at www.limbless-association.org. So, on to today's main discussion. The theme of today's episode is mental health. Whatever your age and whatever the cause of amputation, the psychological impact of losing a limb is huge. With such a seismic and shocking change to life, it's natural that the mind can be just as affected as the body. According to NHS Online, common emotions and thoughts experienced by people after an amputation include depression, anxiety, denial, grief, and for those who have had an amputation as a result of trauma, increased risk of post-traumatic stress disorder. Every amputee is different. We all process experiences and emotions in our own ways. And while psychological therapy can be hugely beneficial for amputees, you have to be ready. Our guests today are here to talk about just that. It's time to introduce them. First up, we have Kim Leons. Dual trained as both a nurse and a psychological therapist, Kim has worked in both clinical and mental health settings in a range of areas, including psychoprosthetics, pain management and oncology. Until last year, Kim worked at the Harold Wood Long-Term Condition Centre, where she helped numerous amputees, including myself and Tracy, our second guest, to slowly come to terms with their new normal. Next, I'd like to introduce Tracy Ralph. Tracy became an amputee in 2014. She now works for the Limbless Association as Essex Hub Coordinator. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you both so much for being here today. Um, and I'd like to start by asking you, Tracy, um, to just run us through your story and your journey to becoming an amputee. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, my story was all a big shock, really. I can't really remember too much about it. It was in 2014. Um it was at Christmas time. I was feeling unwell, just with like a common cold and cough. Um, and I have two small children and my youngest child at, the, at that age in 2014 was 16 months old and my eldest was only four. And I was just carrying on as normal. And it got to Christmas Eve and I was meant to be taking them to the pantomime. I felt really unwell. I went to the doctors and they said I had pneumonia. Um, and I was rushed into Southend Hospital. And from there, I obviously I cut this a little bit shorter, I was put into an induced coma because I was really struggling to breathe. 
it was a lot further along than what we'd imagined. And I just said to my husband, Tracy's really struggling to breathe. We put her into induced um, coma because of the pneumonia. But I, it was actually a little bit worse than that. Um, I think they always like to play it down to you, don't they, when, when you're in hospital. But cut a long story short, I actually had sepsis. So sepsis was attacking my body at an alarming rate. And I actually went into sepsic shock, which all my organs were starting to shut down. Um, and when my husband came to visit me on Christmas Day, they said there's nothing else that they could do for me because all my organs were starting to shut down. But there's an, a machine called an ECMO machine and it's based in, um, there's only four centres of them across the UK. And this machine pumps all the um, carbon dioxide out of your body and pumps all the oxygen back in. This machine basically saved my life. But consequently, as a result of that, it could only it only keeps um, your vital organs, like it's trying to keep your heart, your, keeps your heart and your lungs um, still working by your vital organs which were my fingers and my extremities like my extremities my fingers and my legs and my feet the blood couldn't wasn't rushing to them so it only just saves your vital organs so yes um, I'm very fortunate to be alive that's the way I view it at the moment so I'm you know they've done so many different operations and we had blood clots all over my body as a result of sepsis so in January of 2015 the 14th of January I had my legs both amputated below my knee and my fingers so as a result of that obviously I'm now an amputee very few dark couple of years as you can imagine a big shock to my family and myself but yeah that's my story so I don't actually remember much of it beforehand I don't even remember going to the doctor's Christmas Eve I don't remember anything like that I just woke up Christmas Eve and felt really ill yeah so I wasn't expecting this at all so it was a complete and utter shock to myself becoming an amputee Mm -hmm. as you can imagine yeah Definitely. And so tell me a bit about the mental health side for you, because obviously such a sort of sudden and seismic shift in, you know, your body and your mind. So what what was that like, the kind of mental health side? Yeah, well, I obviously... I don't think you can prepare for any type of amputation. You can't prepare yourself for it anyway, I don't think. Um, but for me, mine was a complete shock. So when I when I woke up and, you know, I was... I had no idea what was happening. And once I'd had my amputation and I was out of danger, they removed me from intensive care. I was not in a good place. I can't sugarcoat it and say that I was because I wasn't. I remember being in St. Thomas's Hospital and this sounds really dark, and but it is the truth. I didn't want to live. And I remember my husband coming up to see me. Um, and whilst I was in intensive care, I couldn't cry. I had no emotion, whether or not it be the medicine, the drugs that you're on. It was only when I went down to another ward that I started to cry. Um, and I did not want to, I couldn't focus on anything. Everybody was saying to me, try to read, try to watch TV. I couldn't focus on anything. I was just sat there. Um, and my husband would come up. I hadn't seen my children. So this is December. This is probably March, maybe February, March. And I still hadn't seen them. And I didn't want to. I was in such a dark place. I didn't want to live. I remember saying to my husband, I remember him coming up and I remember saying, I can actually remember saying, please just let me go. I don't want to live anymore. Just please let me go find another mum for the children. I can't believe that I thought like that now, but that that's how I did feel. And I remember those feelings that they, I meant those feelings at the time. I really did. Yeah, no, I was, I was going to say, and, and I mean, how long was it before you kind of realised that you needed psychological help? Was that it sort of straight away or was it a bit later on? It was the hospital because I couldn't stop crying. I didn't, I didn't want to live and I really did not want to live. If I could, if I was in a position, I probably, 
I don't know. I wasn't in that position because I was still, I could not move. They put me on medication in the hospital. I remember them coming round and I'm going, no, no. They sent a, a counsellor round to me. That didn't do anything. I remember just looking at her, being really cross with her at that time, thinking, what can you do for me? And what she was saying to me, it didn't register. It went through one ear and out the other and just thinking, well, look at you. You can say these things. Look at me. I just didn't see my life going on. And yeah, they did. They put me on medication. And now I look back, that is the best thing they could do because I had a chemical imbalance in my mind, in my brain. There's nothing else that would have helped me at that precise moment. No talking to anybody, I don't think would have helped me. It was only the medication that did get me through at that precise moment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to bring Kim in now because both Kim, uh, both Tracy and I have actually had therapy with Kim. So it's a nice sort of round circle here because Kim knows both of us very, very well. Um, So Kim, in your experience, uh, on average, how long after amputation do patients tend to come to you or does it vary? Well, it does vary. However, I think after somebody's had an amputation, for the first year, their life is very, very busy. So they are being assessed for a limb. They get a prosthesis that changes all the time because the stump has changed. They have all their family around them, so they're getting lots of support. I think after about a year, when um, they haven't got so many appointments and life goes back to a new normal, that's when they have time to actually reflect on what's happened and to process, start processing the trauma and the roller coaster journey that they have actually been on. So usually I will only see um, people who access my help, usually at the beginning, just really about phantom pain or phantom sensation because they want to know about that. But usually sort of if I speak to people early on, I will usually go into their primary assessment and people are... To start off with, they will give me funny looks because they have a strange idea what we do as psychological therapists. Mm -hmm. I remember I was that person. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, sometimes they might have trouble having eye contact because they seem to think that we read minds, which we obviously do not. We're not able to read minds. But usually that first introduction in the primary appointment for a prosthesis, it's, it's just that introduction just to make people aware that we are around because they're obviously very frightened. They they have lost a limb and now somebody's trying to tell them that actually they're mad as well now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so there is still still lots of stigma, unfortunately, around mental health. Mm-hmm. And uh, so usually people will nod politely, are very polite to me, and then say, yeah, thank you, I'm okay. And then a year, t- about nine months a year, in a year's time, they will contact me. Usually mm-hmm. do contact me. I think, mm-hmm. Ella, you can relate to that. <laughs> I can. I did that exact thing that you have just described. And Tracy, when when was it that you first started seeing Kim? So mine was um, when I moved centres, prosthetic centres to Harold Wood. And mine, I started to see Kim, first of all, when we'd done a pain management group. So ours, mine was a group session. And I'd had other therapy beforehand just through my local doctors. But I really wanted to try the group therapy. And I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about that. I remember being a little bit reluctant, but it was the best therapy that I had. And I never thought I would enjoy group therapy because you learn from one another. 
and we you can relate to one another and it's in a safe and secure environment it's not something you don't think oh gosh if I open my heart that other person's going to tell tell somebody you not you feel safe mm-hmm. I don't I remember being with Kim and I remember being with all the other amputees and I felt really safe and I and I enjoyed going to my next session. I was kind of looking forward to it. And you just pick up so many tips and you feel that you're not alone. Um, and it really benefited me. It's, it's taught me skills for life. Mm, definitely. And so, Kim, what are the most common psychological hurdles that you see with amputees? OK, so there's wide range of them, but mm. usually grieving the limb. So uh, they go through a stage of denial, bargaining, uh, you know, if I'd done this, this wouldn't have happened. Depression, anger and acceptance is usually the last stage. Now, acceptance isn't about liking, wanting or approving of what's happened. Acceptance is this is what's happened and this is how it is at this present moment. Obviously, a lot of my work is around pain management anyway and phantom pain and phantom sensation is very, very common. Um, there is a change in self-image. So a lot of work is done around that Um, and adjusting, you know, employment changes, um, housing. Sometimes people need to have adaptions in the house. So lots and lots of changes, lots. And also it's how families cope as well, because Mm. obviously it affects the family as well. And often People will suffer from uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, where they may have flashbacks, they may have anxiety because they've obviously gone through such a trauma while losing their limb. And we deal with lots of guilt and shame, tons of guilt and shame about what's happened from families as well as from the client or from the amputee. So wide, wide range. Yeah, I mean, I know for me, I think we spoke about this, but it was having flashbacks. So kind of lying in bed at night and just before you're about to fall asleep, kind of seeing the film of my accident replaying again and again, sort of in front of my eyes, like a video that you kind of can't stop. And is that is that the kind of thing that we're talking about when we talk about PTSD? Yeah, definitely. And it's quite... A lot of people experience flashbacks to begin with, and it is like reliving that experience, okay? And that can come back, come as flashbacks or dreams or nightmares. Lots of people have nightmares, okay? And it's not just visual, but you feel it in the mind as well as the body, okay? Mm. So, um, and it can be really unpredictable, unpredictable. Mm. So, so often we will get people to actually sort of recognise some of those triggers beforehand. So it might be that they feel a bit dizzy, they feel a bit giddy, and they become dissociated from their surroundings. Mm. Um, and there's various techniques that can actually uh, bring themselves back to the here and now, very similar to mindfulness as well so there's grounding techniques that people can use so uh, and it's about using your senses we've got five senses we're not very good at using them and um, we take them for granted so so things like sound sight smell touch and taste so we often get people to step into and, and really really engage in those senses to bring themselves back to the present so things like smell it's really hard to concentrate on flashbacks 
and to concentrate on them when with strong smells like peppermints. So often people might use peppermint as a distraction or sounds. Very hard to concentrate if you've got really loud music on. Very hard to concentrate on those uh, flashbacks uh, when there's a loud music. Taste, try lemons. If you ate a lemon, it'd be really hot. That would definitely bring yourself back to the mm. present time. And ice. Some people use ice. So they will get ice out of the freezer and they can feel the beginnings of those um, that flashback or that experience. Um, and ice will bring them back to the present. Mm. But often these symptoms will go away untreated. But it's knowing that if after a little while those symptoms are not going, it's about seeking help because there's many, many therapies that are really good for treating trauma, trauma symptoms. Okay, Mm -hmm. so cognitive behavioural therapy and a lot of research has been done in EMDR, which is eye movement desensitisation and um, lots of research coming from that that it's a different way of processing that trauma so Mm. it is about getting help never ever be frightened to speak to your gp or your um the limbless association can give advice of where to turn to and your limb center Mm. yeah they will be able to sign sign post you because actually suffering alone is very very, very difficult. There is help out there. And these are treatable and quite common symptoms when people have been through a trauma. And so Tracy, um, tell me a bit about how Kim helped you and the sorts of things that you worked through and techniques that really helped you that she taught you. Well, what Kim was saying earlier, like I did do, um, I learned a lot of cognitive behavioural therapy um, I, I read quite a few books myself. So I think that that helps also because that just helps the way you change the, the way that you think. You just have to try it. It's all within your thoughts, isn't it? And then with Kim, we practice a lot of that. And then we've done real uh, mindfulness techniques just to really help change the way you think. And I just always remember sometimes thinking like, oh, if somebody in the room is staring at me, how do you know what they're staring at you for? They could be looking, you think they're looking at your legs, but they're not. It's all about changing the way that you think. Mm -hmm. And we learned so many different approaches. And I always just remember Kim just saying, when you're a newly become an amputee, you always try to push yourself too far. And I remember we learned lots of techniques, like thinking if you just try and do everything in a day, then you're going to then have two or three days rest because you're not going to be able to do do everything in that one day. So it was taught just to limit yourself just to do a little bit each day because then you're not going to be resting for like two or three days because you've overdone it. And it's just mm. really about... Kim has taught me so much even just when you was talking then Kim about your techniques to like dis- distract yourself from taste of, from the sound and the smell I can still learn so much from Kim now so I just think everybody just needs to seek some sort of help because mm. it really does it really does benefit you I'm forever learning techniques and Kim just helped me immensely I would mm. con- continue if I could but everybody <laughs> needs to just you've got to learn yourself haven't you that's a thing and yeah. you do you do learn them yourself well, I'm five years on now since being an amputee and I've learned them myself I can manage by myself but I couldn't without the help of others and with Kim at the beginning it really Mm. did help me immensely yeah and I would I would continue to to do these practices (laughs) if we could do them all the time even just once every few months because it just boosts you and just 
makes you just listen to you now Kim I just think gosh I remember those little tips that you're giving and I, I'm just I just love to listen to more knowledge knowledge is power <laughs> yeah for sure yeah and did you ever feel kind of um worried or sort of anxious or embarrassed about seeking psychological help because I know I did and I had that kind of sense of well I'm not the sort of person that has therapy you know I just I wonder is that something you felt as well Tracy or was it a bit different for you I think I used to when I was a lot younger I used to I think oh that's a weakness but now I think it's it's a sign of strength um, it really is. And and my mum, she's always suffered with mental health. So I think I've got a really good understanding. And mm. I don't, I've seen people suffer and I would never want to do that myself. I would, I think it's all about prevention. And I think if you can see the signs there, you really need to reach out and seek for help because I changed my thought process. Um, and with practice, it's easily done. And I suppose I've got two young children, so I've done it for them as well as myself and my family. But I think it will just, what I've learned from Kim um, and what I've learned myself, I kind of inflict on my children now without realising all my friends. So I think it just benefits, even benefits my husband, my friends. I just think it benefits everybody. Mm. And it makes you a lot happier. I'm a lot happier happier. I'm so much mm. happier now. I know it sounds strange to say, and I'm an amputee, but I think I'm, God, it sounds so weird. I think I'm happier now. My thought process is a lot happier than what it was beforehand. Yeah. And I think in therapy, you do learn a lot about yourself and, oh. you know, your your values. We've talked a lot about values, Kim, haven't we? Yes, mm. we have. Yeah. Yeah. Values, sorry. Yeah. Yes, values. And my values, my How subject. have I forgotten values? Yeah. Yes, it's values. <laughs> You've all got to have the same values. Yeah. Sorry. And perhaps maybe for, for people that don't know about um, the kind of acceptance commitment therapy and values, Kim, can you maybe just talk us through that and, and mm. how that works for amputees? Okay. So acceptance commitment therapy is uh, values it's mindfulness based and it is uh, values based as well so uh, values really really important and most of the clients that I work with absolutely love values okay uh, so values are they are like a compass you go north you never reach north and they are what drive you that make you wake up in the morning and make you get up and go so we've all got different values okay so so you may have values of being kind compassionate hard working is a very common uh, value independence uh, creativity Ella I don't know mm-hmm. if that ever rings a bell and it's really really important that we have realistic goals around the values our values don't change that much really and um but our goals do so often I will talk about when somebody's 20 and they may have a value of being hard working they may be able to work long shifts and um but when they're coming up to retirement actually those goals will not be realistic so it's about still being hard working, but it might be um, working like three days a week instead of five days a week. OK, mm-hmm. so so for amputees, their values remain the same, but actually their goals they have to make realistic goals to work towards their values. And often we have all or nothing thinking. One of the stories that I often tell people is about a gentleman that I worked with who had um, experienced high levels of pain. And prior to his accident he'd had, he he was used to creosoting his fence 
in one day. Mm. His value was about being independent. And there was no point since his accident, there was no point doing it unless he did it all in one day. Why would he spend weeks creosoting this fence? Okay, so what we did was we tested that theory out. So what he did, he spent two weeks creosoting this fence, okay? Didn't think he'd do it. And he came in, big smile on his face, and he said, yeah, I did it, I did it. And when I asked him how, how did it go? He said to me, actually, I had a lot of respect from everybody. Everybody popped out and said, oh, you're still doing it. Oh, that looks really, really nice. He paced himself so he wasn't in too much pain. He was able to do the other things that were really important in his life. And at the end of the two weeks, he looked at the fence and he thought, gosh, this is better than I've ever done before. Because he spent time, the fence was spotless, where normally he would do it in like, one day, but it wasn't so good. So Mm. actually, we get very caught up in our cognitions about doing things a certain way. And we sometimes believe those thoughts and sometimes challenging those thoughts is really, really helpful, especially when we're working towards our values. Mm -hmm. We can set realistic goals towards them and get people working towards activities that gives them some sort of meaning in their lives. Mm -hmm. And when people are feeling really down, when they're feeling really depressed, they often lose touch with the meaning of their life. And actually, so it's really, really nice for everybody, not just amputees, but everybody to be in tune with their values. Definitely. And so obviously, you know, there's always good days and bad days. And I'm four years down the line, Tracy's five years down the line. And I'm sure neither of us would say that every single day is amazing and we're, you know, happy all the time, because obviously, who is? But when those dark days do strike, and if you do have times where perhaps you can't achieve something in the kind of the way you could before, or, you know, you're feeling down or anxious, Tracy, how do you, how do you kind of combat those thoughts now? Like, what do you tell yourself when you're having a bad day? Well, sometimes if I am having a bad day, because it could be for whatever reason, sometimes it can be because I've purely done too much or I've hurt my leg, or sometimes I allow myself to have that bad day. I know that sounds really silly. Sometimes I just have to accept it and think I'm not feeling great now. So I've learned, that's taken me a long while to accept though, and I will just have that bad day. I'll stay in, I've learned this from Kim, Um, I would stay in and I would just have that bad day. If I just wanted to watch TV that day and just not do anything, I will allow myself that day. It doesn't happen very often. But I do. And other times when I do have them bad days, when I'm not feeling too great, then I do let my my positive mind try to think. I think, oh, gosh, there's people out there that's worse than me. Come on, Tracy. I try to think what I want to achieve for that day. I try to think, oh, if I think really negatively and make the whole house feel negatively, I'm not going to be able to achieve what I want to achieve. So I want to get out the day for the day or go and do something. But I'm feeling down. I do try to push myself out of it mm-hmm. um, by just learning the techniques from mindfulness or CBT but they don't always work and when they don't work that's when I know I do need to listen to my body and just have that bad day I think it's really important and like Mm. being an amputee sometimes you don't allow yourself to have that bad day you Mm. get too busy and you feel that it's you shouldn't have that bad day I know I do I've got children I think oh no I shouldn't but then some days I do just have them days now and it's really funny where I do just spend the day in bed and the next day when I see my children they come up they go but mum you've been in bed all day like they (laughs) they just don't think but like they think gosh she's been in bed but I do need it and then I feel a lot better the next day so Mm. yeah yeah definitely and I think it's 
it's definitely about that physical versus mental. And I know at the beginning of my recovery, I was, I mean, I mentioned I, I didn't seek psychological support for about a year. And I think it was because I was so focused on the physical recovery mm. and, you know, wanting to hit that milestone. I wanted to use public transport again. I wanted to go up and down the stairs like on my own. You know, there's so many physical milestones. And I think sometimes you just have to accept that, okay, I am an amputee. You know, my body's telling me I need to rest. So therefore I do need to rest. And I mean, Kim, is that something that you see a lot with patients? Yeah, I think it's something about self-compassion, to be honest. I think the things that we say to ourselves, we would never say to loved ones. Okay. So it's really, really good that people are motivated to um, sort of learn to walk the stairs to lots of these physical milestones. They're very, very important. However, it's it's about actually when you're having a bad day, being kind to yourself as well and actually listening to what your body's saying. Because sometimes the things that we say to ourselves, we would never, ever say to our worst enemy. So often when people are having a hard time, what I will, or they say you've made a mistake or you've had a bad day. So you've been at physio, you've had a bad day, you haven't achieved as much as you wanted to or your mind told you you needed to do, perhaps because you were tired or you had poor night's sleep. So what I would get people to do is write down all those thoughts that appear in their head, all those catastrophic and horrible horrible thoughts all those emotions and uh, write everything down then go and have a cup of tea leave it and then come back to it and write down what you would say to a friend who was going through exactly that mm. and write it down and follow that advice not mm -hmm. the first advice that your mind actually uh gives you if you wouldn't say it to somebody you loved, then we need to be aware of the effect that it has on us if we say it to ourselves. And it's not, you know, being kind to yourself is not self-indulgent. It's not self-indulgent. It's self-care. And that's something, especially during COVID-19, that people need to practice more self-compassion because it has such a positive effect. Yeah. And Tracy, that leads me on nicely to ask you um, about your role now with the Limbless Association, because um, one of your roles is that you are a volunteer visitor. So can you tell us a bit about what that means and how important it is for amputees to kind of have that peer support when they're struggling? Yeah, of course. Well, the LA's Volunteer Visitor Programme is just for amputees, whether it's post-amputation or after-amputation, just to reach out and get in contact with the Limbless Association and we will put you in contact with the most appropriate person. And I, do, I am one of those volunteer visitors and it just helps. It's so important for people to reach out because a problem shared is a problem halved. And I know that sounds so much of a cliche, but but all the people that I've spoken to, all the people that have reached out for support, um, nothing's better than speaking to an amputee themselves because we truly do understand. Um, and I know when I've spoke to amputees, whether it not be through the volunteer visitor scheme, it helps me also because you share emotions. 
nobody can quite understand unless you've been through it yourself you'll get all the help um, you can go to therapists and they're great and they teach you all the tools but sometimes people do just need to talk to another amputee mm. and it really does it just releases all the emotion if you know that somebody understands when I talk to lots of people they just they just get so much comfort in knowing that I understand and you can share experiences. You can share everything that you've gone through with one another. Um, and if I don't know the answer, I will find out the answer. Mm. But, you know, it's so important that people do pick up the phone. You can't be ashamed. I mean, I I would be lost now if I didn't have friends who were amputees. It's just, it's that understanding. You're big like a big community. I mean, you don't have to be that way. It could just be one phone call. It can be however much support that you need. But I just think it's really important for people to to reach out and connect because you're going through such a horrible time yourself. People don't know what to say to you. Friends and family don't always know what to say to you. And you can just talk to another amputee it just it just takes makes them little tough times a little bit easier I found mm, definitely well Tracy and Kim thank you both so much for being here today and chatting so openly about what is such an important topic so join us again next time and I'd like to leave you today with our final segment which I'm calling I'm stumped so each episode, we'll be relaying your funniest and most bizarre memories of being an amputee, just to add a little bit of lightness. Um, so to kick us off, as this is episode one, I would like to share a story that happened to me the other month, pre-COVID, when I was at the theatre. Um, and I, Tracy and Kim might know this story, but I was um, eating Haribo at the theatre, as you do. And I, te I took my prosthetic leg off because sometimes there's not a lot of leg room in the theatre. So I just slip it off because it's easier. And I put my Haribo inside my leg. It's quite handy to carry things in, actually, when you, you know, you just put your phone in it or whatever. It's quite handy. Um, anyway, it got to the interval and I was I decided to get up and go to the loo. So I got up, I clicked my prosthetic leg on um, and I walked to the toilet, went to the toilet, came back and then suddenly thought, where's my sweets? Where's my Haribo gone? And then I suddenly realised, oh, OK, it's still in my leg. So there we go. There's my funny story about being an amputee. Um, so if you have been stumped in a similar way, um, we want to hear from you. So contact the Limbless Association through all the social media channels. And remember, to find out more about the charity, you can visit the website www.limbless-association.org. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Kim. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Join us next time. Bye bye. <laughs>